Hello, Movie Marathoners, and welcome to episode 82 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week is film critic Erica Richards, whose writing can be found on sites such as In Their Own League, CRP Rights, and In Session Film. Erica, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm so excited to be back. It feels like forever ago that we talked, but it really hasn't been that long. Yeah, I know. It it has been about a month. Uh, You were on the podcast to talk about One Night in Miami and Promising Young Woman. And I guess, you know, for podcast standards, that's like what, like three or four episodes ago. So not that long, but it does feel like quite a while ago. So much has happened since then, just everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like so much has happened since then. Wait, you know what I do want to ask you about that we haven't talked about is how was your Sundance experience? Oh, Sundance was great. I kind of worked myself a little too hard, I would say. Like I just like mm-hmm. did so many of these mini review podcasts and hopefully people appreciated those. But um it was a ton of fun. It was my first experience at a film festival. So that was super exciting. And honestly I just next year really hope that it's back in person and I can somehow figure out how to get off of work and go because I think the one thing that was missing was that like community aspect. And it was a little harder to to feel that when you're just sitting at home on your couch the whole time. But I know you just got accredited for South by Southwest, right? I did. Congratulations. Thank you, which is um <laughs> will also be my first film festival. I covered awesome. last year. Yeah, last year through um their league, I covered a couple like documentaries here and there, but not full like accredited like like you said, I'm taking a few days off work. I'm like fully, you know, doing it. And I also would love to be in person. I think it's just a different experience. But obviously, like, that's not the reality of the world right now. I also am planning to apply for Sundance next year and hope I can go and we can all be there in person, which would be awesome. And then, of course, the same uh, for Southwest, South by Southwest next year as well. So, yeah. So I'm I'm super excited. Um, I'm just looking forward to, like, seeing a bunch of new stuff and getting the chance to write about it. So I'm super, super thankful to In Session Film for that because they're the ones that that got me in. So super, super thankful to them. Yeah, I'm really excited for you for that. It's it's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. I didn't apply because I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can do another one like a month after. Right. So kudos to the people who are doing both. Um, it's not my job though. So I think when it's right. someone's job, I think they're a little more yeah, capable of, of yeah. banging them out. Yeah. Well, any any suggestions you have, I will take. So (laughs) we can we can talk offline about how to survive, uh, you know, watching however many films in a span of three or four days. So any suggestions you have, I will take. Yeah, we'll talk about it for sure. Okay. Um, In the meantime, what we're going to talk about today, uh, this episode is a normal marathon episode featuring a full length review of one of the Oscar frontrunners, Nomadland which is currently streaming on Hulu. Before heading to the start line, though, we'll warm up with a film news segment. Then we'll have a spoiler-free discussion of Nomadland before heading into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And then finally, as always, we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So, okay, let's go ahead and warm up with some film news right off the bat, and we'll do that by heading to the trailer track. So last week, we got the first trailers to two very different but still very high-profile films, Disney's Cruella and Warner Bros. Mortal Kombat. So I figured we'd start with Cruella. I think that's the one that you're most excited for, Erica. 
Um, Cruella is an origin film for the villain of Disney's 101 Dalmatians. It's, uh, of course, Cruella DeVille. I think she's an iconic villain. It stars Emma Stone as Cruella or pre-Cruella DeVille, I guess. And it's directed by Craig Giuseppe, who most recently directed I, Tonya, which I'm a huge fan of. The film is allegedly going to be released in theaters on May 28th. We'll see. I feel like that's pretty ambitious, but who knows? Maybe maybe there's going to go for a, a theatrical release. Who knows? But Erica, what are your thoughts on the trailer and the project? Um, I've been excited about this for a really long time. I <laughs> love Emma. Like, I remember when this got announced, like, forever ago. I think, like, it was just announced. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, this is on my radar. Like, I'm super excited for this. Um a huge Emma Stone fan. I think she's like the perfect casting for this. I'm excited by the trailer. I just think like, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but, and I kind of made like a joke tweet about it um, last night that I'm just so sick of everything being compared to the Joker. Mm -hmm. I'm so sick of it. Like she's her own villain. And yes, there's some like parallels or whatever, but like just because It's like a villain origin story, which like I love the Disney villains. Like, where's my Ursula origin story? (laughs) I need that next. Um, You know, I'm I'm super excited for it. Like, it looks fun. It looks like campy. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm here for it. I was not here for everyone comparing it to the Joker, but um, I'm here for it. And like I said, the the joke tweet like I made last night was I was I watched Eyes Wide Shut for the first time last night. Um, the Stanley Kubrick from, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I made a joke that, that, um, it's so long. It's like, it felt so long. Um, (laughs) but the, I made a joke because there's a scene early on in the film when, um, Nicole Kidman characters, Alice is arguing with Tom Cruise. They're arguing, right? They're a couple, they're a married couple and they're arguing. And she's in like a white tank top and like white underwear. And it looked exactly like how, um, Marie Zendaya looked in Malcolm and Marie, right? Oh, so yeah. I'm like, oh, is this the like source or is this the inspiration for Malcolm and Marie? Like joking, obviously, because there's so many parallels in film, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I love finding those parallels and those like similarities and inspirations and stuff. But just because something, you know, finds inspiration from another film or it looks like another film or it's also a villain story or it's also a story about a couple right doesn't mean it's exactly the same thing or you know Cruella is her own person you know so I mean did you not enjoy Joker like you don't do you not like it I I feel like Joker is really controversial you either loved it or hated it and I'm that weird person that's like in the middle mm-hmm. I thought Joaquin Phoenix was like incredible and very deserving of the Oscar like I thought he played like I thought he was incredible. Um, it's not It's not a film that I'm, like, excited to revisit. I've seen it once, like, because I always do, like, the Oscar, yeah. you know, like, prep thing. Um, it's a – I think it's a wild – like, it's a wild watch. I thought it was – I mean, again, like, I thought it was good. Like, I thought it was well done. I, I think so many people, like I said, are either, like, firmly on one side or the other. And I'm, like, a weirdo that's in the middle because I – I like I thought it was a good watch. I don't really want to revisit it. Um, and I thought Joaquin Phoenix was incredible. So I'm in this weird in between, I think. What about you? Are you a fan of it or? 
I liked it, I would say. Um, I think the discourse around it made it really exhausting, and I yes. enjoyed my time watching it, and I was actually pretty skeptical going into it because I think that the Joker and like the whole idea of the Joker is kind of overrated and overplayed anyways. So right. um, it pleasantly surprised me, but I think similarly to you, I was just like, look, it's a good performance. It's, yeah. a, you know, if we're going to get superhero movies, then you might as well get one where Joaquin Phoenix gets to deliver a good performance. Yeah. So I think in comparing Cruella to that aspect of Joker, I think it sort of makes sense. Like, okay, you've got this villain, you know, villain origin story, and right. we have a good actor in the lead role. And maybe this is just their time to get to have fun and give a good performance. So, yeah, um, again, I mean, I agree with you. It's a very surface level comparison. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure it's going to be completely different. This is obviously going to still be a kids film and Joker is absolutely do you think, not. Do you think it's going to be a kids? That's it's I funny mean, that you say that because I was watching it and I'm like, this doesn't look like a kids film, which obviously like I'm fine with, but like, <laughs> yeah. And to bring it back to Corello, right. Not to change the whole subject and, and make it all about the Joker, but Joker pod. I, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> um, I was watching it thinking like this looks dark, but also I'm the kind of person too that's like all Disney films are secretly dark and like mm -hmm. they just you just don't really realize it um, until later. You're like there was some messed up shit in Lion King. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I feel like this is going to be a kids movie in the same way that something like Pirates of the Caribbean, which is certainly PG-13. Mm -hmm. It's certainly pretty violent, but it's still is for children or like families i guess okay like, this is okay. still a disney film right it, it's not going yeah. to be their gritty r-rated take on the 101 right. dalmatians you know i would love to see that but <laughs> um yeah i i don't know i'm excited i thought emma stone looked incredible like mm -hmm. we see her with like the red hair in the beginning and then she's like fully transformed by the end i will say i only watched the trailer once because i'm not really a big trailer person i try to stay away from them but again, I'm super excited for this one. This has been on my radar forever. Um, actually, a few months ago, I tweet. I think I I tweeted like, "Is Corella still happening?" Like, I haven't heard anything yeah. about it. And then it's like, you know, the the trailer came out, so I'm excited. I, I'm excited. I think it's going to be super fun. Is it also releasing on Disney Plus or no? Just in theaters. It seems like it's just theaters, which I think mm. is kind of bizarre. Um, yeah, I, I know agree. that they're also still pretty adamant about the Black Widow release date, which is even earlier than this. So, uh, right, right. um, my guess is they'll probably change their tune, but, but we'll see. I, right. I think I'm also excited for this, but also I feel like every single live action Disney movie has had a great trailer. And then mm -hmm. I watch the movie and I'm like, this is some level of garbage. So I'm right. starting to feel like, okay, fool me once. Fine. Fool me twice. Right. Fine. Fool me thrice, <laughs> apparently still fine because I went to go see, I paid $30 for fucking Mulan, but like fool me Did a fourth you, time. I still haven't watched Mulan. <laughs> Were you disappointed? I was very disappointed. And really? I think that trailer looked amazing. I love Nikki Caro. Um, it was just super disappointing. Really? Why? Well, you can listen to our episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, I, just okay, found, okay. <laughs> I just found that the story was really inconsistent and... Like, it just was really choppy. None of the characters had anything to them other than mm. maybe sort of the Mulan character, but it didn't have any of the fun of the animated one. And then it didn't do enough to make itself like this badass kind of war epic that it could have been 
by just and that it kind looked of in the trailer. It looked right. that way in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So I found that super disappointing. It's definitely one of the more ambitious ones. Um, but you know, I mean, even like Lion King, which is my favorite movie ever, probably. Um, that live action one is just brutal. I didn't see that one either because I was just like, I don't want. I think. I don't think I've seen a live action Disney remake. What other ones are there? Because I didn't see Lion King. I didn't see Mulan. I just was like, I don't, I don't want to see a live, a- <laughs> live action Lion King. Like the original yeah. is so good. Like, I don't know. That's the other thing too is like, I, I think I appreciate these like origin stories, right? Because it, it's, it's not a remake. They're not mm-hmm. doing like a remake of like the 101 Dalmatians, right? But they're so they're kind of using that source material to create something new. And it seems like everything now is a remake or a reboot, which is just so annoying. Like, can we get some original stories, you know, like, yeah, I just I don't know. So I think, again, like, I'm excited. I think it looks good. <laughs> I hope I hope it um, I hope it meets my expectations. I'm nervous. Uh, it's also the co-writer of the of the favorite. Which oh I so I I'm like hoping that helps it I don't know yeah um I I don't want to keep being like the the storm cloud on your parade but I I guess my question <laughs> for you then is the one that's probably most comparable to this is Maleficent with Angelina Jolie and I didn't I, see that I hated that one too so oh, really um, okay <laughs> yeah I didn't see I, that either. I think I'm just sort of protecting myself from disappointment. I'm definitely going to watch this. I will watch anything that has like IP that I recognize from my childhood. So they've got me, but I just hope that this one is good. And you know what? Maybe it is the one that's good. And there's a couple that are good. I thought Cinderella was great. Um, Oh, yeah. And Beauty and the Beast. Duh. Duh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I love the Beauty. And Beauty and the Beast is my favorite from my childhood. So... Yes, I loved that Beauty and the Beast remake. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm uh, let's cross our fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a good way to think about it. So fingers crossed, Cruel is good in May, and we actually get to see it in May. But um yeah. who knows? The other high profile trailer drop that we got was the first trailer for Warner Brothers Mortal Kombat movie. And that is a remake or a reboot or something, because there are Mortal Kombat movies. There's a film series of them, apparently. I haven't actually seen any of them. But all of those films are also, of course, adaptations of the Mortal Kombat video game, which is a fighting style game. You pick a character and you fight the other character. So this film is scheduled for release on April 16th. And like all the Warner Brothers films for 2021, it's going to be released in theaters and HBO Max simultaneously. So at the very least, we know that we will be getting this movie even if we don't necessarily get any of the theatrical releases. Right. Um, so this new Mortal Kombat trailer, Erica, you s- <laughs> we started this Zoom call and you were like, <laughs> oh my God, I forgot to watch this. So Obviously, I'm super <laughs> excited about Mortal Kombat, super pumped for it, super <laughs> on my radar. Um, yeah. I know nothing about any of this. Um, I know it's a video game and that's like as much knowledge as I have and like maybe like, seeing a few guys in college like playing it which college for me was jesus like 10 years ago um so like i literally know close to nothing the trailer looked cool i mean like you saw me watch it and i was like okay this looks cool like you know i mean yeah you looked perplexed a little bit at times i was like there was just so much happening i feel like i don't know and so much i guess it's just so much that i don't know i don't know it looked again i think it looked cool I, 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 I'll be honest with you, like 
those types of films and not to like sound like an asshole when I say that, like those types of films, like they're just not my thing. Um, will I watch it? Maybe because it's on HBO Max and I have HBO Max. Like maybe I'll watch <laughs> it to see what it's about. Like, I don't know. It lo- Again, it looks cool. It looks cool. And I think I've seen a lot of people who are super into the video games saying like, this looks awesome. Like, I did feel like I saw a lot of like the trailer looks amazing. So like good for those people. I don't know. Like I have close to nothing to say about this because I have no investment in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is not a video game series I'm super familiar with. I think yeah. the things I know about it are that it's ultra violent. And when you're about to win, the voice of the video game says, finish him. And then you perform like a certain combo or whatever, and you get yeah. this really ultra graphic kill of your opponent. So like if you're one character, they'll like rip the spine out of the person or, um, you know, if you're the sub-zero guy who freezes people, it'll make like this hailstorm of ice that just stabs everybody or whatever. So the trailer had that. Um, it was yeah. an ultra violent trailer and there was a guy that screamed finish him. And then we got a cut of <laughs> yeah. a bunch of people killing people very violently. So it seems to have what the, the video game series right. is known for. Um, right. it'll be interesting to see if there's anything that's kind of vaguely plot related, which I think is where these video game series movie right. adaptations really struggle. Um, for this one, I think if it's just a bunch of people fighting and it's relatively good and it's not like shitty basic action, then I don't think it needs that much of a plot. So maybe this will be good. I'm not, again, I'm like more kind of protect myself from disappointment and I'm going to watch it because like you said, it's free on HBO Max. So right. the trailer I thought didn't dissuade me from watching it, I guess is the way I can put that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I just said. Uh, not my it's just not i mean like no i don't mean any shade when i say yeah yeah. like but it's just not my thing so it looks fine it looks cool i mean like i think i have such an appreciation for those types of films because there's so much that goes into making them right but i don't really have a desire to watch them if that makes sense yeah we'll see we'll see well as Erica said, we'll see about Mortal Kombat when it comes out in April. But let's go ahead and move on to our main review of Nomadland, which very much is your type of movie, I think, Erica. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so first, a synopsis. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey across the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Nomadland stars Francis McDormand and David Strathairn, and it is written and directed by Chloe Zhao. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I and they sometimes call you nomads. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just... Houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. So Nomadland has had buzz ever since it premiered at the Venice Film Festival last September. 
So it's been in the public conscience for many, many months. Um, it's been the recipient of tons of awards from all sorts of critic circles and awards groups. And I would say it is one of, if not the front runner for best picture. And it was also the film that was most often ranked as the best film of 2020 from film critics and, and such. Yeah. But it has remained relatively difficult to see until last weekend when it was released publicly to Hulu uh, or on Hulu. So just like Promising Young Woman, uh, we talked about this last month. This was a film that I have waited to see for months, and it felt like I was the very last person in the entire world to see it. But I know, Erica, you have a little bit different of a story of when you saw Nomadland. So what was that like? Yeah, so I also, um, you know, being a part of like the film critics world and and seeing all the buzz about it, I'm like, I have to see this film. Like, same, I, I think I probably said this about Promising Young Woman, too. It got to the point where I'm like, I have to I have to reach out to get a screener. Like, I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same so much with Nomadland. I um, was able to snag a ticket through um, film at the Lincoln Center. I think I paid like 12 bucks, like, which, you know, when I think about like renting Promising Young Woman for $20 after I'd seen it twice already. Um <laughs> You know, $12 is nothing. So I was just thankful that I could snag a ticket. Um, Also, just and I know we're not talking about this, but just the same thing. I just recently snagged a ticket through like the A24 screeners for Minari. Minari, And I paid I paid I paid 20 bucks for that, which again, like I'm I'm super okay with paying something like $20 because I want to support as much as I can right now during these times, you know. Um, And yeah, I saw it back in December. I was really glad to see it then because I don't know if I could have waited until now. So I feel your pain. <laughs> I feel your pain. Like it's it's excruciating to see everyone talking about it. And, you know, um, it was hard to get screeners too. So one of the sites I write for, um, CRP writes, when they'd seen that I got, a, like I'd snagged a ticket, they were like, do you want to write a review? Because like we need a, a review of this. So like mm-hmm. I'd written my review way back then and, yeah, I don't think I've changed at all in my review. I think, you know, it's it's so touchy. Like, you never really know what's going to win Best Picture. But like you said, like, Nomadland has gotten so many awards. It's so good. Like, I know we'll get into it and talk about it. But um, Well, why don't you just go ahead and give your overall thoughts right now? Just what what do you think overall about it? So first of all, I'm in the, like, campaign. I'm, like, the campaign manager of, like, put Frances McDormand in every film. Um, I'm obsessed with her. I love her. I think she's phenomenal in everything I've ever seen. I, and she's also like one of those women that like, I want to be her friend. Like I want to know her. Mm-hmm. Um, she just seems like an amazing person. And she's just so, especially in this, she's so infectious and like so vulnerable and charming and just infectious. Like I just fell in love with her character Fern. Um, and I just think she's incredible. But I think Nomadland, I'll also, I'll kind of preface with this. I'm a documentary nerd. Like I love documentaries. If you ask me what my favorite genre is, I first ask you, do you consider documentaries a genre? And if you say yes, (laughs) then I say documentaries. If you say no, then I say thrillers because like mystery thriller type of, you know, things are my favorite, like genre, genre, but like I live for a documentary. so I loved that aspect of this is that so often it felt like you were watching a document. You felt like you were just watching Frances McDormand 
it, like surrounding a documentary film. I don't know. That's the way I, it kind of came off to me. Um, I love the use of like non-professional actors, which is something that, you know, I think is really hard to do. I think that's also why uh, Chloe Zhao, I never am sure if I'm saying it right. I think it's Zhao. Zhao, Zhao. Yeah. That's also why I think she's getting so many director nods because Mm -hmm. to be able to get these performances out of these non-professional actors that, you know, who knows how much of it was scripted, unscripted or, you know, whatever. But to get these performances out of them, that is about direction, right? Creating a space where they're comfortable and giving them the space to be these fictionalized versions of themselves and do it so well. Like, I'm like looking up these people after the fact. Like, I'm also like, well, this is a spoiler, so I won't say it. But um, the, probably the only spoiler that I, it could be in the film, but we won't get, we'll get there, but I won't say it yet. But I'm like looking up these people after the fact because I was also thinking, like, were they non professional? Like, they were so good. Yeah. Who is this person, you know? And like I said, I just think like Francis McDormand's ability to mold and gel with these people is just incredible to watch. This is a film that I think I will tell everyone to watch, but I know I think it's also one of those films that I think certain people like wouldn't have appreciation for, right? Yeah. Um I've even heard some other people like I don't know. It just kind of looks like Francis McDormand's just like wandering around. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> but like, it's so much more than that. And she's so incredible. Right. Um, I'm like, I could watch her shit in a bucket for hours. Like, I love her. Um, and she's so she's just so infectious in this film. Like this time around watching it, like I felt so different about her character. I felt like she was so I didn't realize like how strong she was, you know, like Mm -hmm. she's like keeping it together so well when she could have broke so many times, you know, and it's so good. I do. I think it'll win best picture. I think it's got a really, really good chance. Um, Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll echo a lot of what you said. I I agree. I think Frances McDormand is sensational in this. She's always sensational, but I agree that this performance has a gentleness and like a tenderness that I was kind of surprised to get from her, especially because her last flashy performance, of course, was the uh, what's her name in Three Billboards, right? So so she's she's more curmudgeony in that, and then she kind of played into that curmudgeoniness on the awards circuit. So. It was surprising to see her play a more gentle and quiet character, and and I really found that performance very captivating. Um, yeah. The the thing that you mentioned, I, I guess we should just be specific about what we were saying with the the non professional actors is that Chloe Zhao uses non professional actors to play fictional versions of themselves in this film. She does it in her previous two films as well, and you know the obvious exception is Frances McDormand and then the David Strathairn character, but all the other actors and especially the nomads are people that are actually nomadic people and they're playing fictional ish versions of themselves. And I really want to talk about some of the, like what we think is scripted versus not scripted. Cause I think that screenplay is like, the more I think about it, the more I read about this movie and how it was created, the screenplay kind of blows my mind, but it is a little spoilery. So we will save it for that. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think this film, it's an odd film for sure, 
because as you're saying, and, and maybe this is why you like it so much, it, it feels a lot like a documentary. And I would say it's almost like 60% a documentary about these nomads and then 40% a story about Francis McDormand's character. But it feels like for the first, I would say, hour of the movie, it's like 90% documentary, 10% Francis McDormand character. And then the last part of the film, it kind of switches and becomes more about the Francis McDormand character. So I found um, that the film was pretty slow. Um, It meanders very intentionally. And I think ultimately at the end of the film, I really enjoyed it. And I thought the ending was phenomenal. Um, It definitely took its time to kind of work its magic on me. And I agree with you that I think there will be certain people who, for better or for worse, will look at this and be like, I'm a little bored. And I, you know, I'm not of the camp that's like saying a movie's boring is bad criticism. I think just saying that it's boring is bad criticism. But if you can explain why and then, you know, I think movies are meant to be entertaining. And it's certainly fair to watch this one and be like, well, this is not necessarily what I'm looking for. So just for people listening who haven't seen it, it is a slow and quiet movie. But I do think that this idea of these slow and quiet moments and the collective sum of those moments making something beautiful is very emblemic of life. And that's the thing that I think won me over with this film. Yeah. And you know what? I will say that this second watch, I thought about things a lot differently. Like even from the very opening, like as soon as the film opens, there's text on screen that explains like, you know, this um, town in Nevada, Nevada Empire, right? Which is where- Isn't it in Nebraska? I think it's Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska. Sorry. Um how dare you mix up those two stuff? I'm just kidding. That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, it was so I think it was like a drywall company or something, and it shut down. And then it was like, then what did it it said something like then the zip code was like no long no more, right? Like the town like was taken off the map essentially, right? Yeah. So it was like the the main source of jobs for this small town and so when the company dissolved there were no jobs so everyone was like all right let's leave and so then the town was like well we don't have any people so we're not a town anymore and i think it dissolved other than the few people that wanted to stay there and then they became nomads right 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 so that was really interesting to me too and i kind of was reflecting on like because right i okay like i think the overall message in this film is you know, what defines home for you, right? And I really, that line that Frances delivers where she's like, I'm not homeless, I just don't have a house, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is like, there's so much behind what she's actually saying there. And and this whole like zip code, like, you know, this whole zip code thing, right? And I'm saying that because I come from a place where your zip code does matter. Like you are judged by where you live, and what zip code you're in. Like literally you're judged by that. And Mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of like, it does not matter where you live or, you know, what your zip code is. It does not define you. Right. Because like, if you've grown up around here and you meet someone, their first question they're going to ask you is what high school did you go to, which defines where you grew up. Right. Mm -hmm. And you are judged based on where you went to high school, okay? Essentially, what zip code you fell under, right? 
And I always say, because there's literally, there's a road that you can take from Baltimore to Annapolis, okay? So all in between there, everyone shares this road. And I always say, like, you are not better than me. We all share Richie Highway because that's the road, right? So it's, like, funny because people will define where you live based on this, like, road, right? And I'm just like, you're not better than me because you went to, (laughs) I won't call it out, XYZ High School, right? Um, And it's also one of those things, like, if I say to someone, like, oh, I went to XYZ High School, they're like, what? You did? Like, they judge me. They immediately judge me for it. So I just, I when I saw that on screen this time, I was like, oh, that's so meaningful, right? Like, mm-hmm. we judge people based on where they live and grew up and where they're from and, and where they consider home, right? And something also that I was thinking about was, why are things different based on, like, also age, right? And, and like, where you're at in your life? Because I'm sure you and I both have had friends who have, after college or maybe in between college years have purchased a van and decided to trek across country and, or like, I'm going to do this like, you know, camping thing for three months. And it's always like, that's so cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Why is it because these people are choosing to live this way when they're older, whether, because we as a society think retirement should be luxurious and on a beach or, you know, whatever. And these people who are older, who are choosing to live this way, why do we look at it as sad or unfortunate, right? Because like, think about those people she meets in the beginning who are like, are you okay? You know, like, or you can come stay with us. Or even that that younger girl that says like, my mom says you're homeless. Like, are you okay? You know, whatever she says. And she's like, I'm not homeless. I just don't have a house, you know? And it's like, it's the same thing of, of I, I think I saw like a Twitter thread like a while ago that was like, what is something that's considered cool if you're rich, but not if you're poor? And it was like knowing multiple languages, right? When someone who is educated and and wealthy knows multiple languages, we're like, ooh, that's so sexy. But when it's someone who is like an immigrant or like not very well off and they know multiple languages because they have to to get by, we don't even think about that, right? It's like the same kind of thing for me with this, I realized. It was like, People are looking at at these people like, oh, they're they don't have much, and it's so sad. Look at them, and and they're they're further along in their life, and and they they don't have anything. When re- in reality, if if it was a twenty two year old, we'd be like, that's so cool. They're they're going to like see the wilderness and and you know experience things. And it's like these people are doing the same exact thing, and it's just because of their age that we're judging them. I think you know. Yeah, you're bringing up an interesting point that I think the movie does a really good job at towing a line about is this idea of whether these people really have a choice in the lifestyle that they are choosing. And I think on some level, yes, they do. The film goes and says, okay, let's look at this Fern character. She has the ability to stay with friends or even family if she wants to. But there also is this sort of disconnect, I think, between what these people do versus what a 22-year-old who just graduated college with a good degree, probably not a lot of student debt, decides to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use my privilege to explore this lifestyle. And I I think how you interpret this film is really interesting 
to think about like how much of this film is saying this is an opportunity that these people have versus this is what they have to do. And um, there's there's a lot of moments in this film where it definitely doesn't glorify this lifestyle. But then there is certainly an aspect of this film where you watch it, at least from like a place of relative privilege, like we are where we have a home and we watch and we say, oh, man, it would be so nice to go to these beautiful scenic landscapes. Oh, man, I I'm from Arizona. So when they go to Quartzsite, I'm like, I just want to be home right now. I love the desert. Um, Looks so beautiful. So there Mm -hmm. is that wish fulfillment ish part of this movie and how those two coalesce in this movie is really interesting. And I'm not quite sure. um, I'm I'm not quite sure what my takeaway about that message is, but I like that the film kind of toes that line very delicately and you Mm -hmm. can have both. Right. Right. And I think, you know, kind of like you said, as the film develops, you start to learn more about these non-professional actors, right? And these characters and mm-hmm. maybe why they're on the road or just things about their life that have kind of defined who they've become. And I agree with you. I think it it, it toes a line and it, you know, its message could be interpreted differently by different people. Um, I'd love to watch it again and see what I pick up on differently this time because I think the first time I watched it I didn't necessarily think about these other things that I that you know that I'm talking about now like even that opening like I said that text on screen like the second time the second time I watched it I'm like do I even remember that happening the first time you know like (laughs) I'm like oh and I think you know I always think you should watch a film twice because you pick up on so much but I was like oh wow you know and and I think I think it really, you know, is also kind of like a a back and forth of the American dream, right? Like the American mm-hmm. dream is to travel and see all these wonderful places. And and another thing that I love about, the again, the direction and the cinematography of this film is that they shoot and compose the shots of the beautiful outdoor, you know, sceneries the same way they do an Amazon warehouse. Right. (laughs) And I think what is the message there is that like, this is the American dream, right? Like these beautiful landscapes and like the traveling and the, you know, getting to see the world, but also like (laughs) the reality of a lot of American lives is spending their days in these huge warehouses. And I think that's something, again, this is like kind of what I'm saying, like, where people that I think are just watching a film surface level for entertainment, like you're saying, they're not going to pick up on these things, right? Like they're giving us a message here that like you want to see these beautiful landscapes and in reality you're in a huge warehouse. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think that how you interpret this movie is going to be very largely dependent on what you think of not only this lifestyle, but sort of just the more traditional American lifestyle. And what I think is really, um, I don't know if smart is necessarily the right word for this, but certainly what is good for the universality of this film is that the film doesn't really take a harsh stance in any one thing. Like I think it, yeah. it introduces a lot of these aspects, but it doesn't say this is bad and this is good. It actually right. like, you know, when this movie opens and it pans at the Amazon warehouse, um, I'm a person who definitely still uses Amazon, but I know that they're pretty shitty to their employees. And yeah. so, 
immediately when it comes on, me and my girlfriend were like, oh, this is going to be like an anti-corporate kind of film, uh, kind of like mm. a, an F you to Amazon. And you can certainly read the film like that. You can show that, look, Amazon is using these people who need temporary work. And then once the um, Christmas season is over, they're like, all right, we don't need you anymore. So see you later. But then you right. could also read it as like, this is Amazon providing a job opportunity yes. for these people. And I so know. depending on what your thoughts are, the film kind of validates both. And I think in terms of like a, an Oscar chance film, like a film that needs to appeal to a wide group of people, I think that a political-ishness of this film is pretty beneficial to it for being like, you know, it it is certainly can be read on a liberal lens, but it can also be read on a conservative lens. And like, look at all these great people that are stuck in middle America and and all of this stuff. So I I find that a pretty unique aspect of this film in that it's more just kind of like wholesome, feel good stuff instead of being like, oh, let's thoroughly examine capitalism through these people who were left behind because of capitalism, you know? Right. I absolutely agree. Um, I don't know if I thought, if I even thought when it, that at first, you know, it's very early in the film that it's going to be that controversial. But now that you make that point, I think maybe I could have thought that. Um, like and like I, also, I thought that it it like has the potential to be controversial, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and like you said, I think it it really delicately explores that, right? Like, I think these nomads are appreciative for these like little odds and ends jobs, and they're okay with that. And they're, mm -hmm. I think, another thing that I picked up on the first time I watched it, and then again the second time was like these people are all really hard workers. Like they really care about doing a good job, right? Like they're not like a useless teenager who doesn't really care. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, I thought about like when they were like cleaning the bathrooms in that one place or like, you know, just anything that they were doing, right? Like they were doing it with intention. Um, and I think they're thankful for these, like I said, these little, odd jobs wherever they go, wherever they can find work. And again, would we be thinking differently if if this was like a group of 25-year-olds, right? Like, would we be right. like, oh, that's cool. Like, they pick up a job here and there. Or like, you know, people that I won't say that I grew up with, but like when I, like during college, like I lived, my, my college wasn't far from like our beach here in Maryland. And my family has a beach house and I would live there in the summers and wait tables and bartend and it was super fun and, you know, but it wasn't like my career, right? Like, I always joke that like, I would love to be a like career waitress because you just bring people food and make them happy. But, you know, how do we treat these people that are in these jobs? It's not always steady work. Mm -hmm. It's not always, you know, I mean, look now with like the pandemic, like we're saying, these people are heroes and are frontline workers. And like, we're debating whether or not they deserve to have minimum wage raise, you know? Right. Um, but I also think about like, again, these people that either I went to school with or that had gone to school, like in my area or whatever, and then graduated and then, okay, I'm going to bartend here in the summers. And then I'm going to go live out in Utah in the winters and teach snowboarding. Like, and it was like, oh, that's so cool. Again, like, mm -hmm. Why, why are we looking like, I think the first time I, I watched this, I think I felt like a little sad for these people. And then the second time I'm like, no, hmm. this is their life. And they're like figuring it out and like making it work. And they've chosen this life, you know, like you said, like 
there's opportunities here where these people could have homes or even like Swanky, which I I don't want to like spoil anything here, but Swanky, like, you know, some of these people are ill and they're like, I don't want to be in a hospital. I don't want to be indoors. I want to be out with nature and live until I am no longer on earth, you know, which I think is like a really meaningful message and, and her character, you know, there's a lot to be said there. So. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about those specific kind of supplementary characters in spoilers. I think before doing that, I just want to talk about um, the performances a little bit more here in the non-spoiler section. Um, I want to talk PRs. This is a new segment of the podcast where we ask if this film is anyone's best performance or to use the running related term, their personal record. So, um, I mean, the obvious question here is we've got this amazing Frances McDormand performance. Erica, do you think that this film is her PR? You know, it's funny because, like I've said, I'm, I feel like I love Frances McDormand. I'm a huge fan of her work. But I was thinking about it. I'm like, I really haven't seen, like, I mean, she's been in so many films, right? right. But oh, this this performance and this character is so different, like you said so different from anything she's ever played right like i love her character in fargo like i thought thought she was hilarious and like so good in that role and then her character in three billboards which you know again she won an oscar for god she was like electric in that she was so good and then this like you said it's it's a much more delicate quiet but so infectious like Mm -hmm. She was so like, I, I don't even know if like charismatic or charming is even the right word. Um, She just was so. Uh, I What is the right word, Maddie? Like, it, she's so like, I don't even know. For me, there are several moments in this film where I'm like, she is just the sweetest, most adorable yes. little lady ever. And yes. I don't think I've ever experienced that with a Frances McDormand character. Right. Um. Normally, she kind of plays a badass. And it's not that Fern isn't a badass, like in her own way she is, but there is this sort of like vulnerability to her character in this that is just like, I want to give her a hug, you know? Yes. Um, And also like moments too where she was just like fun, like naturally funny. And Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if it's also because you're watching her and you know Frances McDormand, right? Like you, you know her, she's very famous. And and again, you're watching her with these non-professional actors and you're watching her just be so natural with them. Or even like for me, honestly, I was thinking like, what was my favorite scene? For me, it was um, the scene with the alligator. And (laughs) she was just like, her reaction would be my reaction. So like, I just like felt like I saw myself in her in that moment. Like, you know, like, I don't know. She's just... So I don't, to say, like, is this her best performance? It's tough because I think she's so good in those other roles that she's, you know, won Oscars for. Um, but again, I think she has a huge chance of winning again here just right. because you can't. It's one of those things like you can't take your eyes off of her and not in a way that's like flashy or exploited because she I mean, I don't even think she has makeup on. You know what I mean? Like. She just was so raw and like stripped down and just, yes, sweet, vulnerable, but also like never going to give in and 
like, you know, I, I don't know. Do you remember the moment when um, the character Dave, uh, who's the only other non-professional actor, he picks up that box. Like he's trying to help her yeah. with her stuff. When I tell, when he picks up that box and all the stuff falls out of it and breaks, when I tell you I gasped and jumped, like I never <laughs> had, like I never have in a horror film um, or anything, you know what I mean? Because you just know how much those things mean to them because it's literally all they have. Um, mm-hmm. And he just like that too, like he was so good at like, I just felt like you felt so much emotion because he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And she's just like, go over there. Like get, you know, you know, it was just like, yeah. I feel like that was so real. And like, not that it's like this big acting moment, right? Like it's not, it was just when something so simple, like I said, can give me so much of a reaction. Like I literally was like, oh my God. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a performance, you know? Um, Yeah, for sure. So it's like hard because like to say, is this her best role? Because I think she made so much out. I don't want to say so much out of nothing, but, you know, with the character like she had in Three Billboards, like she was this like really diving into, like you said, being this like badass and like give no fucks kind of woman um, where I think you can play it more into that where being a real, you know, quote unquote real person or like this nomad. Mm -hmm. um, That's true. Yeah. It's so much deeper in a different way. So. Oh gosh, I don't know. It's like the Oscar race is going to be so interesting <laughs> this year because there's so many. Like I think about like I I always fill out a ballot, right? And I always do like who I think the Academy is going to choose and then who I want, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And like for me it's like of course like I'm I've been obsessed with Promising Young Woman and I want that to win all the awards and I want Carrie to win best actress, but I would not be upset if 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 Frances McDormand wins again, you know? Yeah, so I I'm gonna not I won't hold you to this answer, but I'll make you pick. Is this her PR? Yes or no? Uh, right now, I'm gonna say yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, again, not to knock this performance at all. You you said it perfectly. I just think that three billboards performance of hers is such a high watermark of just acting across the board. Um, that I think that's gonna be incredibly difficult for her to top. So I would say this is not her PR performance. But, you know, if you have a world record, it's really hard to get a PR. So, um, I mean, I I agree with everything that you said. Just a really wonderful performance. What about Chloe Zhao? I don't know if you've seen her other films, but is this her PR? So I actually haven't. Um, She really wasn't on my radar until Nomadland. Um, But I am doing a series over at um, In Session uh, 52 Films by Women this year. So I'm um, trying to watch at least one film by a woman every week and then write about it. And I added her film, the writer, Mm -hmm. uh, to my list. So I will be seeking out her, you know, her other films, um, after this, but so this is all I really have to go on. And I think like, I mean, she has hit just like you said, like the critics and the award season, like she, it's won so many awards, right? Like, yeah, I think I saw a statistic that said that she is the most awarded single individual in a single award season in the modern filmmaking era, which is I know, crazy. It gives me that just alone just gave me chills. Um which is amazing. Like that's incredible. I'm 
I think she's a front runner for a director as well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, not to say always, right? Because it's not always the case, but a lot of times, to- I think there's only two times that someone's run one best director and not best picture. I think it was Ang Lee for Brokeback Mountain and, um, oh, I, I always mess his name up for Roma. They won best director and then didn't win award, uh, best picture. Yeah, well, I know Argo won Best Picture, right? And oh, right. director, right. he wasn't even nominated. So it happens every now and then, but yeah, it's yeah, pretty rare. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I think, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I think, because I remember Oscars night, last Oscars, right? When when Bong Joon-ho won Best Director, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. It's happened. Like, he's, <laughs> this is going to win Best Picture. Because that's usually what happens. Like, whoever wins Best Director wins Best Picture. It just, I feel like it, that just happens. So I think she's a she's a front runner for director as well, which is incredible. Like mm-hmm. we need more, more women in the conversation. Um, you know, I was really happy with um, was it the was it the Golden Globes that have more yeah. um, more women? It I, it was like oh, this is like cooked up in a lab for me because it was three women and then David Fincher, who you know everyone knows I'm obsessed with, and then Aaron Sorkin, mm-hmm. who I don't think he's as good of a director as he is a writer. I think he's an amazing writer. Like I'm obsessed with you know the social network which he wrote and Moneyballs, another one that i'm obsessed with so i don't think he's as good of a director but i i love him so much as a writer that you know um that was the best director category and i'm like oh this was like you know three it was emerald Fennell and regina king as well in that category so i'm like yeah. three women first of all like you know i don't I'm, i don't do math but the math says that women have more of a chance of winning here, right? <laughs> I think I can validate um, that, yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I don't do math. And um, it's just, I just think it's so exciting. I think as weird of a year as 2020 was, I think there were so many good films by women that got more recognition than I think they would have during a normal year of movies where, you know, these like big blockbuster movies would have gotten more attention than these like indie films that were, you know, written and directed and by women. So I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. I'll be super excited if she wins director, um, at the Oscars. I think she's a front runner there as well. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, I just think her direction with these non-professional actors, I think like that can't go unnoticed, like to create a space and create an atmosphere where these non-professional actors are so moving and so good that I think that has a lot of credit to the director. Yeah, I completely agree. And everything you just said about that type of directing style is also true in The Writer. So I watched The Writer yesterday because I was like, I have to see this to compare. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think I like it a little bit better than Nomadland even. Okay. It's a very similar film in that it tells a very intimate story about these individuals that live in the Badlands of, I believe, South Dakota. And um, it's just a really amazing film with these performances from these non-actors playing versions of themselves. It's a much more intimate story, I would even say, because the guy who is the lead, um, he suffers a a brain injury so he can no longer, uh, or not a brain injury, but a head injury, so he can no longer do um rodeos which is kind of like his life purpose and this guy actually had that happen to him there's a character in this movie who is um a a bull rider and he gets paralyzed from the waist down 
Um, and he is actually in this movie playing himself. And it is wow. incredible to watch. So I will say that that is her PR. Uh, this one doesn't yeah. quite get there for me in the same okay. way, but it's another one of those like, if you have an amazing performance, it's just not that this one isn't amazing. It's just really hard to top that other amazing yeah. performance. So, um, yeah, I would, I'd be interested to know what you think. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So definitely let me know. What you I think. will. I will. I'm, I'm excited to watch that one as well. And I think I, you know, maybe it's also a way for these non-professional actors, whether they're playing, you know, quote unquote, real version of themselves or a fictionalized version of themselves. Maybe it's like super cathartic for them too. Mm -hmm. Like there's some yeah. type of, there's some type of truth in, in the story that they're telling. So I think also that's interesting as a director because that that's why I love documentaries so much because there's so many different ways you can take the story and the way you tell the story. And I think for her as a director to be able to make this like feature film, right? It's not a documentary, but to use these real people and their real stories and their real lives. That's so interesting to me. And that's why I think like, not many people could do that. I don't know. And it's different than like a like a biopic or biopic or however you say it. Something like like, you know, something like the social network or something like the trial of Chicago Seven mm -hmm. or like Judas and the Black Messiah, where it's very, very um It's like overplayed for drama, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Where that's why I think Nomad Land is so beautiful and pure because it doesn't do that, right? Like it, like you said, I think some people look at it as slow or boring or whatever, where it's like, it's just let if if this was a documentary, would you be watching it differently? You know, um, I actually cried this time. I cried this time watching it when she has that conversation with her sister, like kind of towards oh, yeah. the end. Like, oh, like it just that hit me <laughs> last that that hit me. The one other thing I'll say about Chloe Zhao while we're kind of focusing on her direction is that. I don't I don't know if if you knew this but she is a Chinese born filmmaker. She's yes. not American as far as I know. She has no experience living in this part of the country. She has no personal investment in this group of people nor right. in like the western genre which both the writer and Nomadland and I think her her very first film are kind of neo westerns. So I I just think her as a an example of bucking the trend of like, you know, Everyone says writers and directors, they have to write what they know. They have to tell the story that they know. This woman is telling probably, she, she's telling a story that she did not experience. And I think it makes her direction not only more impressive, but also it like has a really universal feel to it where like, yes, you're getting the authenticity of these characters. And I think it's really smart that she actually uses real life cowboys and real life nomads so that she doesn't have to pull from her own experiences but it, it just makes such a unique experience and i'm really interested to see how if at all she plays with that in the eternals which is a huge ass marvel blockbuster that she's going to do next it's oh, already yeah. filmed you know like she's not going to use real eternals <laughs> so <laughs> like right I i'll just be really interested to see if there is any semblance of her personal touch in mm. that big studio machine film. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for that film, especially after watching these two. 
Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see that because like like you said, that's super different from from what she's done. And I think again, that goes back to as a director, you know, really letting these people again, even though they're maybe not it's not it's not a documentary, it's not them telling their exact stories, but creating a space where they can do that. Like I was thinking last night when I was watching, I was trying to take notes on like, what scenes did I think were just improvised, right? Like, and even like those little moments, right, where like, there's that woman, and it looks like she's kind of teaching. um, Because there's just like people sitting out in like the crowd, and she's teaching them about like, shitting in a bucket. And (laughs) I think I think that part was probably just like, Okay, just talk and do your thing and we're just going to yeah. record, you know? And as someone yeah, like I want to I, I actually talk a little bit more about that in spoilers cuz there's some okay. some very specific things. So hold on to that. Why don't you just give your overall thoughts on the okay. film um and also score it out of 10 and then we'll go straight into spoilers for a little bit. Yeah, so this is going to I'm scoring this really high. I'm going to say 9.5. It's like basically perfect. Um it's it's just beautiful. It's I think it's saying so much more than um, what just meets the eye. I like I said, will recommend this to everyone. Um, my film people, I'll say like, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, what are you waiting for? But for you know non film people, like again, I, I always think about this because like so many people in my life, like friends and family, they're not they're not film people. Mm-hmm. So for me to say like I would tell them like, oh my god, you'd have to watch this, I wouldn't. Um, I would say like, you need to watch this because it's beautiful and give it a chance and let it, let it be what it is and let it build while you watch it. Because like I said, a lot of my friends and family, they want to be entertained. They want to, you know, watch something that's cookie cutter and follows the, the, the filmmaking tropes that they know. Right. Um, and this is so different. And I think I would say like, watch this and give it a chance, you know, like, it's so good. And I think, you know, for those people who wait until the Oscars and wait until things win, like these big awards that they know, right? Because like you and I have said, this has won so many awards already, but I don't think a lot of like the average people really would pay attention to that. But like, like, I remember last year when my friends text me after the Oscars and I was like, so did you see Parasite? And I'm like, oh, I saw it three times in theaters. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like, I've been talking about this film for months, you know? Um, I was like, should I watch it? I'm just like, oh, God, like, you know, so that's a lot of the people that I and I think that's more common, right? Like, but that being said, I think Nomadland is a film for everyone. It's just you have to go into it with a different lens, a different expectation of what kind of story you're going to get. Um, So I will say everyone should watch this. It's a fantastic film, but I just I don't think I don't want to say it's like not for everyone, but. I just think certain people will not appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, very well put. Um, For me, very similar. Overall, I think it's a strong, beautiful film, um, and it takes its time. There's not set pieces. There's no flashy moments. I would say instead it's made up of these very quiet and subtle moments or even experiences, and that can sometimes be a little unexciting or meandery. And it certainly is, as you're saying, a very particular type of film. But I do think that if you allow the film to work, then that net effect is a very reflective film. And it feels just so full of life and heart that it's really hard to not recommend this to someone if they're like, should I watch Nomadland? So for me, it's um, not quite a 9.5, a little bit lower, but it is a 7.5. 
out of 10, which is very solid for me. Yeah. So let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll hop into quick spoilers. I know we've already been going on for a while, but um, we just want to hit some quick spoilers. And we'll do that right after this. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we are back and talking about spoilers for Nomadland starting now. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. So, Erica, I will just secede the floor to you. You were talking just about these kind of specific things that feel so natural. And it feels like, yeah, somebody literally pointed the camera at somebody and said, just just do whatever. And then people just talked. There's a couple that I want to highlight, but I want to since I interrupted you before, I want to I want to give it to you. Yeah. So I like I said, I was trying to like take note of these moments that I thought maybe were like fully unscripted and. And that moment, you know, where the woman's like talking about this is how you use a bucket in your van. Um, I really and, you know, she's like talking to her. It looked like like an outdoor classroom, like where all these people were just sitting, like watching her, like give this presentation. And um, I feel like that was definitely unscripted. Um, Just like the natural like laughs too coming from the audience because she was like kind of making jokes about it. And that I feel like was just like, we're just going to record this. and you know, catch whatever you say. And like, not just, I, I don't want to say like, I'm a filmmaker, but um, I do work in production in, in the real world. And a lot of the stories I'm telling are documentaries, uh, end up being documentaries. So a lot of times I'm capturing something and, I, and I'll, the people that I'm working with are obviously non-professionals, but I'm like capturing what they do. And I'm, and they're like, okay, so should I'm like, just do what you normally do. And we're just gonna, we're gonna shoot it. And then if I see what you normally do, I'll know like, okay, I need you to do that again. And we're going to shoot it from this angle or we're going to look at it in this different way or whatever. Mm. Right. So I think, you know, she probably did that in a lot of moments. Or I think about like that moment where, um, for, uh, Francis McDormand's character Fern and is it Linda May, the woman with the, like the longer gray hair? Yeah, I think so. Linda, I think it's Linda May where they're like driving around that go, go kart. And yeah. And they're just like, chatting <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, so it's so natural it's like completely yes. verite filmmaking it's crazy yes and it was so good and like again that's where like yes this non-professional actor is just being herself like you assume she's just being herself right like because she's not a professionally trained actor and like Frances McDormand again just looks like she's being herself now we don't know like Frances could have been like really acting it up there but it didn't look like it it just seemed like Again, like, we're just going to roll on this. You guys just chat or like whatever. But, you know, I think, again, going back to that alligator scene, which I just love so much. Like, is that Frances McDormand just like genuinely reacting to like 
this man feeding this like terrifying looking alligator because that's exactly how I would have reacted. Her reaction is 1000% how I would have reacted or even like the the plate smashing thing. And I'm sorry if that was a spoiler earlier where like I think you're okay. (laughs) Yeah. For me, that was like the most shocking moment in the film. Yeah. just unexpected and shocking. And I think when something's so real or seemingly real, when something like that happens, it is a different like, oh my gosh, because you know, like that plate meant a lot to her. I don't know. It was just like, there was some, there's so much more weight when things seem more natural. Um, Is there any like other moments that you think were like probably super unscripted? So, I mean, the thing I want to say before saying the one that I felt was like definitely Mm -hmm. unscripted is if any of these things are not unscripted, like if they are actually scripted, then this is next level screenwriting. Like yeah. I have never seen anything that feels this verite. And right. so, I mean, y- you mentioned the crocodile thing. Like, yeah, I-, I guess theoretically they could have Francis McDormand just acting or I mean, just reacting to the crocodile in real time or whatever. But she's an actor. I I mean, I feel like that one definitely probably is scripted or definitely Mm -hmm. the plate scene. So even to talk about those scenes as like, wow, it was it felt so real is a testament to not only, of course, the performances, but just this screenwriting of like being able to write something that feels so authentic is incredible. Um, The the scene that I want to point out is at the very end when Francis McDormand is talking to Bob Wells and, uh, you know, he's the guy that is kind of the head of the nomad people that meet in Quartzsite. And he says, he gives this like monologue-ish thing of his son passing away. Yeah. um, And what that means for his life. And when I was watching it, I mean, first off, it almost kind of choked me up. I got got a little teary-eyed too, yeah. Yeah. But second off, I was just like, there is no way this is scripted. Like, just the way that he's talking about this, I I don't I can't think of a single actor who could do this that convincingly. Right. Um, so I mean, props to um Chloe Zhao for being able to recognize that. I was watching an interview with her and she said something like, if you can't afford a really expensive actor to play a car salesman, you hire a car salesman. And right. so I think that's that's really smart. Yeah, give the space to let these people tell their stories in a cathartic way. Like like you said, I I also think that was super um, improvised because you can't speak on those stories unless you've experienced them. And letting mm-hmm. real people tell their story, you know, are you? I even think about like maybe this is a comparison to like, and and stay with me here because I'm gonna make a point. Um, did you see pieces of a woman? <laughs> did you see pieces of a woman? The Netflix. Film? Yeah. Okay. Best horror movie of the year. <laughs> right. So I in in um one of like a group chat that I have with um an uh, with other critics that I that I write with at um one of the sites I write for the person who reviewed it then spoke with the director like after they reviewed it and they were like oh my god I just spoke with the director and I didn't know this was his exp- him, him and his wife's experience that oh, wow. changes everything for me blah 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 and I was I was like, mm, I'm going to chime in here, like not to be an asshole, but like you don't make stories like this unless you've experienced something like it. Like people don't make stories about like heartbreaking things unless it's a way for them to like have a cathartic release. And like, I'm not saying that again, not saying that Chloe Zhao has these experiences, but I think what makes her directing so amazing is that she gives people 
that have mm-hmm. had, had those experiences a space to tell that story. And that's why I think it's so good and memorable and real. Like you said, there's no way that anyone could perform something so devastatingly real. Yeah, either that or Bob Wells is the next freaking Daniel Day-Lewis and he's yes. just chilling out in a trailer somewhere in Arizona. Um, the thing I really want to see is because I'm sure that this film will be nominated for screenplay or if it's not, then it's it's definitely a snub. But if it is, I the thing that I like when they show the uh, Academy Award nominees for screenplay is a lot of the time in the ceremony, they'll have like the page of the script. <gasps> And then show the the scene and how it plays out. I would love to see what the screenplay says for some of these scenes and how it actually gets transferred. Mm. Because I know that what they did was they first went to these um, these campsites and then they sort of just interviewed people. And mm. basically they just had people filming, people talking. And then allegedly Chloe Zhao used those interviews to impact and change the script. But I would be really interested to know if any of that just raw footage went into the final film, because it definitely does feel sometimes like somebody just asked them a question and then they talked and then it was sort of edited around to get the exact bit that they wanted. I I don't know, but I would be really interested to read this screenplay. And I don't think I've read a single screenplay ever. So this would be my first. (laughs) Well, I will take this moment to highly suggest to you, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, the YouTube channel Lessons from the Screenplay. I've, I think I've heard of it, but Oh, yeah. it's so good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels because um, I'm also, I am really fascinated by here's the screenplay and here's how it played out, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the film. So yeah, definitely check out that YouTube channel. It's really good. But I agree with you. I would love to see, you know, and, and, and that, that's interesting too because there's the question of like, you know, well, should have one of the um, non-professional actors have been the main, the main character, character right? right? Yeah. And I don't think so, because I think you had to have that, uh, you know, this fictional Francis McDormand character to have a basis of of a narrative. Right. And then let these non-professional actors in these un- these improvised moments make up the other parts of the film. Does that make sense? Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. And I, I think the the first half of the film, there definitely is a bit of a disconnect sometimes where you have these very real performances and these very real people. And then you have Francis McDormand, who you know is acting, which is another nicer word for like faking, I guess, like if you wanted to be more cynical about it. And so for a while, I was like, do I feel comfortable with like her pretending to be these people while these actual people are on the sidelines? And the more that the film goes on and the more that it sort of becomes about this larger idea of what life feels like and this um, feeling of being stuck and just going through a cycle, I think it matters less. Um, And I think it's more so that like, well, I, you know, if she made a direct documentary about these nomads, I probably wouldn't be watching it because it wouldn't be nominated for best picture. So I found that eventually the film does strike a good balance between those two kind of clashing um, sides. Right. I agree. I I do want to talk about um, Swanky. Yes. That is one of the things that I was like, afterwards, I was like Googling, like, please tell me this woman's alive. 
I um, was so convinced she was dead, but she's oh not. Oh my god! I know, <laughs> I know, right? Because it feels like a documentary. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was like, oh my god! If you know, it's not one of those like, did they kill off Swanky? It's like, oh my god, Swanky better still be alive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um. I just like I want to see all like I wish it was going to be a normal Oscars because I want to see these people at the awards. You know, like oh, I would just. That would make me so happy. But her character was one that I fell in love with. And, you know, I think about, again, these, these like, are these unscripted moments or are they scripted? And these people are, like you said, just like really well unknown actors, um, really good, you know, unknown actors. Is that moment like when Francis like knocks on Swanky's like Van Door and she's like really annoyed with her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like is this woman acting like she's good? Like she really (laughs) genuinely seems like annoyed and like, I don't have time for this. Like that just, that also felt so real too, you know? Um, I love Swanky's character and I think they did a good job of like, spoiler alert, she's still alive. Thank goodness. Um, but making that moment so meaningful, right? Like of having, yeah, right in the movie, she dies though. Yes, right. in the movie yeah. she dies and having that full circle moment where she's like, I just love when she like Francis gets that video from her um, of like, well, I guess, what were they, bats? Uh, swallows. Swallows. Sw- swallows. They're a type okay. of bird. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell. I'm like, they look like bats. I don't know. And then, you know, just her with like the kayak. Like it was all so sweet and thoughtful. And like, also, I think how like real friendships are. And you know, even like like you said, Bob Wells, like him talking at the end, like his moment where he's like, you know, I never really say goodbye because like I know I'm going to see these people again, whether it's down the road or in the afterlife, you know, and and I thought that was really beautiful. And, and you know, even like Swank, like her saying like us finding out like that she is sick and that she's like, no, I'm not going to I decided I'm going to live this life on the road until I, you know, pass. And um like, I don't want to be in a hospital. I don't want to live that way. And again, like the message here is we need to not judge people for deciding to live the way they want to live. And I think we're watching, you know, a character like that. And we're saying like, yes, like get out there, live your life. And like, it's okay. Right. Where I think like, maybe if that was one of our loved ones, we'd be like, no, like you're, we're putting you in the hospital so you can get better or whatever. Or, you know, or even just like, again, just the basis of this narrative, right? Where it's like, why are we judging these people that are choosing to live their lives on the road and live out of a van? And, you know, or even think about that moment where Fern doesn't really want to tell these men that are trying to fix her van, like, this is my home. Like, I live in there. Like, she kind of like holds back a little bit from telling them that because mm-hmm. I think she's afraid of being judged. And back to Swanky, like, I love that full circle moment where she has that conversation with with Fern saying like, well, hopefully one day, you know, they'll all throw rock because she loved rocks and like they'll throw rocks in the fire. And then we see them doing that after she passed. And mm-hmm. like, yeah. I just I, I love those again, like those seem like filmy moments, right? Where like that seems very scripted and like convenient. But it's like I could also see that really happening in real life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we could talk about this so much more. There's so many other things that this film is talking about. We've barely scratched the surface. And that is, of course, the definition of a good film. But um, I think we'll go ahead and move on to the point two section here just to keep the episode at a regularly 
a reasonable amount of editing time for me. But since we're the Movie Marathoners podcast, I want to end our review with a marathon-related question for you, Erica. So let's say you have to run a marathon, and you have to do it with one of Frances McDormand's characters. I've given you three choices. Do you choose to run it with Marge Gunderson, of course, from Fargo, Mildred Hayes from Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, or Fern from Nomadland? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, I think I... <laughs> Gosh, you know, I I really was, I was kind of torn on like what my answer would be. And I'm like, do I go with just like logical, like Marge is pregnant, first of all. Um, All right. So I feel like- I was going to pick Marge because she was the youngest, but I forgot she's pregnant. Right. You're like very pregnant. Yeah. Um, Sometimes women run marathons pregnant. It's, It's pretty, pretty impressive. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And then I just think her character in, in Three Billboards is like, yeah, she's badass. But like, I'm trying to think like if I was running a marathon, like I would need some support. And I don't mm-hmm. think she like she'd leave me in the dust, I think. Like, <laughs> not in a way that she's like, I only care about myself because obviously like she cares so much about other people. But like, she's just a badass. And like, I don't think has time for anything. Like, you know, like I just I don't know. Maybe it's because like. Fern is like so still fresh and new kind of character. And like I said, like you can tell she's like such a hard worker, like when she's working these like odd end jobs and like she's so resourceful. You see her like fixing things with their van, like, you know, doing things in their van and like, but she's also like sweet and kind and like, I don't know. I think I'd have to go with Fern as much as I love those other two characters. (laughs) And again, like both badass characters, badass women, um, but one's pregnant and one, I think just like wouldn't have time for my shit because I would definitely need some help running a marathon. Um, <laughs> definitely. I'm not a long distance runner. If a runner at all, um, I, I spin, I do cycling. So that on a bike, I could blast running. That sounds exhausting. And I also think Fern, like her character, like as independent as she is, I think looks forward to those like friendship moments right where like she has those that friendship moment with swanky or with linda may or you know whatever yeah i think i think fern for me what about you that's a good choice and i think you've convinced me of fern like i said i was going to pick marge just because she's younger so i think she'd be a little less likely to have some health problems with this whole thing (laughs) so um but you're right. She's pregnant. I don't really yeah. want to put her through that. So yeah, very um, pregnant too. Yeah. And I was gonna pick Mildred second because I was like, look, I, I guess I don't, I, I don't necessarily need that like emotional support that I, I feel like Fern would be better at giving. But again, you know, I, I'd like to become friends with this person. So Fern, I, I like that choice. So I'll, I'll second that as well. Yeah, I like that question. It made me think about. It made me think. It really did. <laughs> So let's go ahead and move on to our point two section. We'll just do a brief one here where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Mm. So Erica, what have you been watching? So I have been watching like a bunch of random stuff. Like I said, I watched um, Eyes Wide Shut for the first time last night. That was interesting. Um, I also learned that that (laughs) is the longest uh, film production, like holds the Guinness Book of World Records, like longest production. Oh, wow. Yeah, and was is like thought to be the beginning of the end of Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise's marriage, which is just interesting. 
And then, you know what? Last night, I, I also watched um, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. Have you seen that? Mm, yeah. I need to rewatch it because I was only half paying attention. I was like trying to do other things. And I, it's not one of those films that you should be doing that with. So like, I can't even really give that a score. And then I will. I also watched um, Obvious Child with Jenny Slate. Have you heard of that? I, I have not seen that one, but I've heard it's of it. So good! Like I loved it. That'll be one of the films I write about for my like fifty-two films by women. Jenny Slate's just so funny, and like it's good. It's very good. I think it it deserves a little bit more credit. Um, I'd seen one of my friends and fellow film critics on Twitter talking about like it was one of her favorite films directed by a woman. So I like huh. sought it. I sought it out. I always get this movie confused with the one with Lake Bell about voice acting for some reason. Oh yeah, I like I like that too. In that's a world, like in in a world, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm looking up um, who directed that because I feel like I know one of the one of the directors of either one of those movies. Oh no, Lake Bell directed like, that, so yeah, I don't know she... what I'm talking about. Well, whatever. <laughs> uh, Jillian Ro- Robespierre directed Obvious Child. Yeah, I thought that she also directed something else that I had seen recently, but I can't really see from her Wikipedia page anything. I guess she directed two episodes of A Teacher, which I really liked. But oh, um, I've anyways, been, I've been thinking of maybe watching that. But and then the other two films I'll say I watched were um, Richard Jewell, which I loved way more than I thought I would. Yeah, it's good. It's good, um, and it tells a really interesting story. And then, of course, I care a lot, which is getting a lot of buzz because it just came out this weekend, which I also loved. I love Rosemont Pike. I think she's amazing. I thought it was a really fun watch. Like it, it, it grips you from the very beginning and then holds on literally until the last few seconds. I mean, you're just. Like, I'm very full- excited about that one. Have you Have you seen it? I'm watching it tomorrow because okay. yesterday w- my girlfriend wanted to watch something a little more tamer, which is what I'll be talking about. But. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I, I love Rosamund Pike and it yeah. kind of seems like a spiritual successor to Gone Girl. I know you're since you're a huge Fincher fan, I'm sure you love Gone Girl. I love Gone Girl, yeah. Well, it's so funny because you can't help but when you hear her voice, you can't help but hear Amy Dunn. You just can't. Like that mm-hmm. voice is Amy Dunn. Um so I'll I'll be super looking forward to your thoughts on I Care a lot. I won't say anything else. It really, like I said, it grips you from the very beginning and holds you on to the last few seconds. Like I felt fully engrossed. <laughs> I felt fully engrossed when I was watching it. Um, I have a bad habit right now again because we're watching so much at home, right? To like maybe be distracted by my phone a little bit. Yeah. Not, not at all with this film. Like I was fully engrossed. So I'll be excited to hear your thoughts. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely let you know because yeah. uh, I'm. I've been looking forward to that one since I heard about it. Like I yeah. don't know. It actually hasn't been that long since I heard about it. So right. it's not one of these months and months of anticipation, but. Anything with Rosamund Pike sounds pretty good to me. So yeah, um, yeah, that's I care a lot on Netflix. Definitely check that out, and I'll mention the other ones that Erica mentioned in in the show notes if you want to yeah. check out those as well. So um, the movie that I saw instead of I care a lot yesterday is a film called Flora and Ulysses or oh. Ulysses. Superheroes stand watch when danger closes in and save those in need. But they have one thing in common. They never show up in the real world. Until Ulysses. Every superhero comes to us with a purpose. 
We don't always see it at first. Because we don't always know where to look. Flora! What is this? I am Ulysses. Born anew. Yeah, I've been hearing about this, but I haven't seen it. Tell me, tell me about it. Do you know anything about it? No. Okay. It is a movie on Disney+. Plus. It is adapted from the children's novel of the same name. Flora is a 10-year-old girl, and she befriends a squirrel that she names Ulysses, and it turns out that he kind of has superpowers. Um, and that's the movie. She's from kind of like a broken-ish family, and it's a coming-of-age kids film kind of thing, and it's solid. It definitely doesn't transcend being a kid's movie, so it's very much a kid's movie and all that that entails, but it's pretty cute, and um, there's a lot of supporting characters that are played by actors that I think are really funny, so um, Flora's dad is played by Ben Schwartz, who I think is hilarious every time he pops up in anything. He has a pretty big role in the film, and he has that manic energy that he brings to like Sonic the Hedgehog and John Ralphio and uh, Parks and Rec. So I enjoyed that a lot. Danny Pudi is the villain of this film. I don't know. Have you seen Community? Yes. Yeah. So Abed from Community is the villain. Okay. And have you seen DuckTales? Oh, God. Forever ago. So there's a new version of it. Um, Oh, no. It's on Disney+. Plus. I think if you're looking for a 20-minute like cartoon to kill time, it's actually pretty fun and really funny. But um. Danny Pudi and Ben Schwartz play two of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I don't remember which ones, mm. but Bobby Moynihan plays the other one. And then there's a girl, Webby or Webigail, I think is her name. She's played by Kate Micucci. And all okay. four of these people are in this movie. Um, and I cannot figure out why, like whether that's a coincidence, whether that's Disney being like reusing actors that they have a good standing relationship with. I don't know, but they're all in this movie. So this is a DuckTales reunion for some reason. Um, <laughs> And then did you see The Haunting of Bly Manor? No, I haven't. Oh, I, that <laughs> and um, what was the, what was Mike Flanagan's other? The uh, Haunting, of, Haunting Hill of Hill House. I bought the book and I had the book and I want it. The book's like really thick. Like it's not, it's not. Yeah, it's like a novella, isn't it? Yeah, it's not even, I, it's maybe like just around 200 pages. So I don't know, I, you know, it's hard. I don't like to get it it's like sucked into series because Mm-hmm. then I just been because it's all available like I can't not binge it and then I'm like I just wasted eight not wasted eight hours but like eight hours are gone because I didn't do anything else other than watch this that's why I watch so many films because I'm like it's two hours of you know it's two hours and I'm yeah. done so I uh, and you know what's funny is my one of my best friends Mike Flanagan was her um college boyfriend he's from oh wow he, he's from this area <laughs> yeah he's from this area he went to Towson which is like just north of Baltimore. And they're still friends. Like they still talk, you know, they're still friends, friendly. But anyways, I've completely der- derailed from what you were, you were getting at. No, I haven't seen. <laughs> I haven't well, seen it. <laughs> there's virtually no relationship to this film other than the fact that the creepy boy in Haunting of Bly Manor, Miles, is also in this movie. And he plays a character who is hysterically blind which is an outdated term for people who suffer neurological um, damage due to stress. So basically, he gets when he gets stressed, he becomes blind. Um, seems like a, it's like an actual real disease. So it's like kind of questionable whether they 
you know, have this character pretend to be that as kind of like a comedic bit. But basically his whole character is that Anchorman 2 bit where Will Ferrell is blind um, for a little bit. It's just that he's a 10-year-old instead of Will Ferrell. So it's super random. This movie is really random and very bizarre. Um, I think ultimately it's a bit jumbled. It's a little all over the place um, with all these disparate elements coming together. But it has a sweet little message about like hope and, you know, never giving up on your family. Pretty pat shit. But what I think is interesting to see about this type of film is that this genre is now using the common consciousness of superheroes and the idea that the MCU specifically is this thing that exists in our monoculture that everybody knows. And so like there are direct references to Marvel characters and superheroes. Um, Flora tells her dad that she loves him 3000, which is obviously from Endgame. It really got me thinking about how interesting it is that there is an entire generation of children whose entire view of the world and entire way that they engage with pop culture is defined by the MCU, right? And so like these movies, these other movies that are completely unrelated are using the shared collective consciousness to tell their own story and say, this is how kids understand the world is through superheroes. So let's frame a children's coming of age story through the superhero genre. And I think that's really interesting because it kind of reminds me about how like when we were kids or when we were younger, everybody knew like the concept of a Terminator or the concept of a Disney princess, right? And so other media could reference those things or those ideas and we would instantly know what that archetype means and how you can play off of that idea. So it's really cool to see that happen with the MCU so quickly. And if anything, that's why I found this movie so interesting. Can't say I would like recommend it to anybody who's like not a child or doesn't want to watch like a children's movie, but it was just really interesting to think about that kind of hmm. concept of the MCU as monoculture, you know? Yeah, I think I'd be lost because I have hardly seen any of those films. <laughs> they're just not my thing. <laughs> like they're just not my thing. Yeah. I feel like I feel like so left out because it's so much of like a discussion and like I was trying to figure out, like, should I watch WandaVision? And I just like You should. Oh Yeah, but well, I don't yeah. but I wouldn't know the connections and the references. It was funny, I was talking with a friend about like, should I watch this? And they were like, Well, how like well versed are you with MCU? And I was like, uh, Deadpool? Like you know, like I <laughs> not in the MCU, so yeah. right. And I they were like, uh and I was like, Guardians of the Galaxy? Like I've seen those, like you know, I mean, I just don't have that knowledge. Um, but, you know, even if you haven't seen every single one, I think there is this sort of general understanding of like the superhero mythos. Right. And it's that that this movie is playing with about like how every superhero has a moment where they have to rise to the occasion. Every superhero has an origin story. All of that stuff is stuff that people know, regardless of whether they've seen Iron Man and Captain Marvel and all of those right. things, right? Right. Which is interesting right. to think about because it's the same way that like I hadn't seen Terminator until, I don't know, maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, you know the I'll be back and you know yeah. the idea of like evil Skynet and, you know, so it, it, it's right. cool to see that happen in our lifetimes with something that is so relatively recent. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. But anyways, that is Flora and Ulysses. Um, I certainly had 
more fun thinking about the film maybe than I had actually watching it. But it was pretty funny. It's cute. Um, It's on Disney+. Plus. You can check it out if you're interested. Cool. All right. This has been our review of Nomadland. Erica, thank you so much for joining me again. I thought this was a great conversation, and I feel like yet again we could have talked for another two hours. (laughs) Yes. Thank you again so much for having me. I'll look forward to, again, the next time we chat about something. You've picked all really great films to, to chat about with me, so like... I, I love that. Um, I love being able to, you know, talk about just like different ideas and get different perspectives. And, and um, you know, again, like, it's so interesting to hear, I think people what they probably think about Nomadland that like, oh, it looks like nothing really happens. But look, I mean, like, look at us, like, we talked for two hours about this film. Like you said, we could have talked for two more. I just think there's so much depth there. Um, and I'll, I'll be really excited to see how it does in all these big award shows. I think, I think it's going to clean up. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I, I loved it. So if you haven't watched it yet, make sure you watch it. For sure. Fingers crossed. Um, is there anything specific that you'd like to plug here other than for people to watch Nomadland? Yeah, watch Nomadland. Um, you can, (laughs) again, follow me at E-Rock Reviews on Twitter. I have my link tree on there so you can see all the places I write at. Um, look out for my South by Southwest coverage, um, like the middle of March. I'm super excited about that. Um, all my reviews will be at in session film, uh, for that. So I can't wait. Awesome. Thanks, Erica. Yeah. The intro music for this episode is a piece called work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when I release new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to the podcast via email by contacting MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts. So please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time when I recap the Golden Globes. It seems like it came out of nowhere, but it is next week, so I'm really excited for that. I'll be joined by Dana Nyland to discuss the results of what is probably the second biggest award show, which airs uh, Sunday, February 28th. So based on the nominations, I think that ceremony is going to be quite bizarre, uh, which should make for a pretty fun conversation. So stay tuned for that. Until then, remember that life's a marathon. So let's take it one movie at a time. Hey there, I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.